Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Sid, I've been in a remarkably good mood today. Oh. Uh, when you're somebody who, uh, you know, never quite knows where their, their head's going to be at because chemicals and everything, the world, is so nice. And I'm hoping— It's nice for those around you, too. It's, do people, people like that, too? The people in the house like that? Just different people that live here Listen, all the time. <laughs> I, I get bored easily. I love unpredictability. Yeah. That's, you know, so it keeps works guess, for us. You it like works. That. I never it know, keeps, what, I never know what I'm waking up to. I, it works but for us. this one's good. This is—I'm in a good vibe, and I am hoping that you are going to keep me— on this 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 uh, this radiation vibe I'm grooving on, by just keeping uh, keeping the good vibes coming. Well, what do you got this week, Sid? Uh, I don't know. Pretty if excited good. about it. Well, okay, this isn't bad vibes because you know it's funny. As I was researching this topic and putting this episode together, the narrative got better. Like the it's like better news. Oh, good. I wouldn't say like everything's fixed. Don't worry. But like they heard they heard you were looking news. into it. And they're like, quick, Sydney's coming. I, <laughs> Fix you know, it. you know what's funny, I, and I, I think I can admit this to you, dear listeners. Like you've, you've been with us so long. I think you know. I think you know my heart, and you understand this. So as I was putting this story together, and I'm thinking, like, ah, this is good. This is important. This is an important thing. I want to do an episode on it. I want to talk about it too. I want to. I want to also, you know, research some of the backstory of this and like get that info out there because it's really important for us to be focused on and energized about and talking about. And then as I was researching it. This actually happened in my in our in our in our notes. It happened to me in the moment, but like yesterday now, as we're recording, it sort of came to a resolution, and that's great. I mean, excellent. But also, I had a moment of like, no, not yet. <laughs> I need to be able to like, take. I need to be able to take credit. No, no, it wasn't that. It was just like, no, I want to talk about it too. No, 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 no don't. It got fixed too quick. I didn't get to help. I, I wanted to help too. Well, if I know anything so, about the medical system, the underlying <laughs> issues are probably still absolutely they there. They are. The underlying issues are still there. And it's, as with most um, activist causes, sustained like pressure on organizations to do the right thing is really important. Even if it seems they're starting to do the right thing, um, you can't take your eye off them. Because, mm. mm-hmm. you know, and we're talking about Big Pharma here. And Big uh-huh. Pharma is really tricksy. Um, and they, they have lots of lawyers. This is no shade on you lawyers. I'm just saying they have lots of you. They have lots of lobbyists. Um, they have lots of people who are, who are very good at protecting the interests of big pharma. That's what they're paid to do. That's their job. They're very talented and skilled and intelligent, and they will 
um, outwile us mm. <laughs> if we're not paying attention. Uh, so anyway, I want to talk about uh, beta quilling and drug patents. Many of you may be familiar with this because of either John Green or Hank Green, because I think John first started talking about it, I believe on Twitter. See, I feel like that now that we're missing the narrative. I know yeah. I miss narratives now. Everybody that get I don't off Twitter. Really, Come on. I don't know where I don't know where we go. Okay, do it, MySpace. I guess Live yeah. Journal. I guess I don't know, but um, but I feel like I was late to this because I was I don't really look at Twitter much anymore. Uh, but anyway, I think John called attention to it first, and then of course Hank too. Um, many of you are probably fans of the Green Brothers, as you should be, as we are. Um, but they, but what John was talking about is that there is a medication, uh, beta quilling, that is used for tuberculosis, a specific kind of tuberculosis. The, we often use the abbreviation MDRTB. TB is the common way to refer to tuberculosis. Yes. I think most people know that. TB. When I say TB, I mean tuberculosis. MDR means multidrug resistant. So it's TB that's really hard to treat. That's the important part. Okay. It's the same, um, by the way. Uh, I, I think it's always important. I always try to tell patients this. If I think something is MRSA or MRSA, MRSA. that's just a really resistant strain of staph. So it's a staph infection. You've heard of, you may have heard of staph infections. They're really common. This is still just staph. It's just a really resistant form of staph, meaning that we have to use different antibiotics to fix it. Makes sense to me. Same idea, but but generally same bug. Meh, there's differences, but generally same bug. So same idea. So this medication is really critical because with MDRTB, you don't have a lot of options to treat it. Um, and you need something that's a pill because a lot of the parts of the world that are really uh, affected by TB, it can be hard. Like the delivery of healthcare can be more difficult because we're talking about resource limited settings or rural settings where it can be hard to get like injections or IV meds out to people. You need stuff that travels easily. Um, and the reason that John Green drew attention to it and that we're talking about it now is that this medication was about to come off patent this year. Mm. That's a big deal for medicines. This is something that um, is like a lot of us in healthcare will sort of track occasionally when there's a medicine that a lot of our patients want or one that we know works well and are trying to give to people. When it's when it's first introduced, the drug company that makes it will patent it, right? Right. Because they want to make money off of it. And then, you know, the argument that they will always make, which is to some degree true, we spend a lot of money and time making it. Mm -hmm. And so now we need a return on our investment. So they patent it to protect it so other companies can't make it. Other companies can't make the same thing and you can't make generics of it for cheap. So then basically they get a monopoly on it. They get mm -hmm. to set the price and whatever they set is what you have to pay. And insurance companies may choose to cover it or not. For most of these drugs, when they're first introduced, the idea that you could afford them out of pocket is is not realistic for the vast majority of Americans. And I know, by the way, this system can work differently in different parts of the world. I'm, I'm speaking primarily about the way the pharmaceutical industry operates in the United States of America. There are still these issues because pharmaceutical companies are multinational, you know, giants for the most part. The company that made this med, Johnson & Johnson, is also Janssen. It just depends on where you are, but... Anyway, so a lot of uh, – there are issues with the pharmace pharmaceutical industry in probably the entire world. It's exactly like Mickey Mouse. What? Well, Mickey Mouse is supposed to enter the public domain and Disney keeps fighting to keep Mickey Mouse out of the public domain because they want to hold on to him. 2024, Mickey Mouse theoretically enters the public domain, but it's just Steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse. So 
no gloves, no color. But if you want to draw a black and white Mickey Mouse, <laughs> I can't, they no, can't wait, stop you anymore. Let me ask you something. Yes. So is the the real like the version of Mickey Mouse that we know today? Mm-hmm. What number like trademark are we on? What do you mean? Well, you said that it's just the Steamboat Willie one. Yes. It's a it's a it's not the number, it's not re-trademark, it's a, a elements of his appearance. So the ele- the gloves weren't in Steamboat Willie. They weren't in until I think a year after. So so, so twenty twenty five. Then you could do that version of of Mickey Mouse. And he wasn't in color until nineteen thirty five. So not that's when you can do that. Yeah. Okay, exactly. no, this is a really good analogy for what I'm going to explain to you okay, about good. drug patents. So so keep that in mind, yeah. that the only Mickey Mouse you can use next year will be the Steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse. This is, this is, um, we're going to get to that. That's a good good analogy for this. Okay, so the drug, the, this drug, betaquiline, was introduced in, uh, well, first it was like mentioned, it was investigated all the way back in like 2004. Um, in this country, in the United States, it was introduced in 2012. Um and it is a, you know, it's this blockbuster drug at the time. Like when it was introduced, it was a big deal because it treated this really resistant strain of TB. It was a pill. Um, it, In case you're curious, it is a uh, diural quinolone antibiotic if you want to know what class mm. of drugs it is. And mm. basically the way that it works in TB is it blocks the synthesis of something called ATP, which is like energy for the tuberculosis bacteria and... You're losing them, Pull up, The important you're part is them. it kills TB that <laughs> other drugs can't. And it was when it came out, it was the first drug, new drug, the first new drug, I should say, for TB that had been introduced in over 40 years. So it was a huge deal when it came to the market. And a lot of people who were working to fight TB and try to, you know, eradicate TB in different parts of the world were really thankful that this drug was introduced. And the people who are rooting for TB and trying to get it spread everywhere, they were very frustrated. <laughs> Arr, not again. We're just making <laughs> no, some headway. No. We're trying to give everybody TB. Dang well, it. I mean, I guess it's just TB at this point. It was on the other side. Like tuberculosis itself was upset. Yeah, sure. If it if it has like a, if it's sentient it has and a has bo- a- It probably has a few boosters. There's people that watch like NCIS. You know what I mean? I don't <laughs> see why there's not people that cheer for tuberculosis. I don't think those. T- I don't think you can draw. Ben Shapiro has fans. Why can't tuberculosis have fans? There you go. That's where I would put TB. Yeah, right alongside Ben Shapiro. Um. So anyway, and and I know like in that story. Okay, so TB largely affects parts of the world where um, there's resource limited. People are living in impoverished settings. So. You could start to see like Johnson and Johnson in this scenario as like, and there hadn't been a new drug introduced in forty years. They took a risk, right? Mm-hmm. Like you could make that argument, like deciding that these are the people we want to focus on, this is the issue we want to address, and this is the drug we want to develop, knowing the patient populations aren't going to have like a ton of cash to pay for it. Like you know, it's not like they made a new vanity drug, right? So like a lot, and that's, and the reason I'm saying this is that this is always the argument on the side of the pharmaceutical industry. We took a big risk. We made a med that you really needed. Um, And it was first, like, like it took them like eight years of development beyond all of the early stuff that led to the development of this drug. Okay. So like it is, I guess that is kind of a risk. Now on the flip side, TB is a big deal. Uh, As of 2021, there's the last like stats that I found. Uh, 1.6 million people around the world died from tuberculosis. 
Uh, and it, it specifically affects some populations more than others. So like 187,000 of those people also have HIV. Um, TB is the 13th leading cause of death worldwide. And it was the leading cause of it, like of death, infectious disease wise. It was the number one infectious disease killer worldwide until something took its place. COVID. COVID. I imagine that in the coming years, TB will again reclaim that first position. So it, it, it takes more lives than HIV, AIDS, which I think we probably hear more and talk more about yeah. overall, at least in this country, than we do tuberculosis. And even that, it's not that much. Right. No. Exactly. Um, not enough, at least. So so it is a, it is a giant problem. In 2021, 10.6 million people uh, had, you know, got sick with tuberculosis. Um and it is curable, by the way. So when we talk about how many people die of it, TB's curable. We can fix it. There also is um, a vaccine. Now, in this country, we don't get it. But it is something that you get depending on where you live. So it's, it's preventable and it's curable and it's still killing this many people. That's a question of will and resources, right? Exactly. Exactly. It is a, it is a public health crisis that persists that we are not doing enough about as a global community. So having uh, there this, are entities addressing it aggressively. We should be doing more. So the this medicine coming off patent is going to be a huge Exactly, boom, right? because the regimen for um multidrug resistant TB that was out there prior to betaquiline being introduced um, required like 20 months or more of treatment, a combo of medicines, daily injections, and they had much higher uh, adverse events related to those medications. So the previous regimen was difficult dangerous, hard to deliver, not effective. I mean, well, effective, but like, you know, not right. efficient, not uh, applicable to most people. Got it. Betaquilling changed the game, um, but it was expensive. It was expensive as soon as it was introduced, you know? Yeah. Because it's a new med. And as Johnson & Johnson their, would tell you- They want to make their nut. They and again, their nut well, but they, and I think it's really important, like pharmaceutical companies are pretty good about not saying that. <laughs> They, like, that is true. I mean, it's capitalism. They're okay, for-profit yeah. companies. Yeah, for this isn't a charitable organization. Like, they're not, no. But they don't say that. What they say is, listen, we put so much money and time into this, time that we could have done other things. We did this. So all that money has, we have to recoup that for the next big innovation. We're really hurting. Like, right? We're really like, that's hurting the only way we can continue to innovate is if we make money yeah. to, to, you know, encourage us to do so. Yeah. This is capitalism. Yeah. Um, but here's what I would tell you about, and I want you to think about this as we talk about the the patent battle that is maybe coming to an end right now. How much of beta quilling did J and J pay for? Because when we talk the about who or the de- pills? no, like the uh, in the whole cost of making it making it something that was approved and came to market. Mm-hmm. How much did they put in? Because there are studies out there you can find. I found a 2020 study specifically asking who paid for this drug, whose money was spent in the development of this drug, meaning who should get to profit off of it, or how much should it cost? That's the bigger question, not who gets the profits. But depending on who paid for it, is it fair for them to charge as much as they do for the markup on these drugs to be as completely wild as they often are? And by the way, those prices climb as they get closer to going off patent. Weird. Yeah. Weird. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. So here's what you need to know about beta quilling. Public contributions, meaning 
clinical trials that were funded by tax dollars or grants. Okay. Money that came from the taxpayers. Okay. You and I, Joe, Joe Worker. So through public contributions, it was between 109 and 252 million. These are U.S. dollars. Tax credits were 22 to 36 million. Tax deductions were 8 to 27 million. Administration of a donation program was 5 million. There were PRV revenues that were 300 to 400 million. Total public investment in this drug was between 455 to 747 million dollars. It's our drug. The uh, J&J put in 90 to 240 million. So depending on, I mean, because all of this, it's hard to, it's hard to get the, nobody wants you to know the exact numbers. Dep- so either way, the public contributed at the low end 1.6 times as much money as the private company. On the high end, 5.1 times mm. as much money. We pay for these drugs, everybody. It's our drugs. I'm not saying that the company doesn't also. I'm saying that the primary funder for medical innovation is us. Yes. We like we the people are paying for these medications. And then when we the people see them approved by the FDA and then we can get them and we're sick and we're like, "Hey, I paid for that. Give it to me." They say it's going to be thousands of dollars and your insurance company won't cover it. Sorry. Um and this isn't just leveled at J&J. Right. All the co- and every company that we we lauded for making a COVID vaccine, <laughs> and we were so cheering on our yeah, favorite remember. big pharma. Remember, they all do this. So this we're isn't back. one company. Ba- they Classic all do Sullivan's. this. Classic Sullivan's is back. We're fighting again. We had a brief honeymoon with the the drug companies when they were making COVID vaccines, mm-hmm. and now we're back uh, on their on their butts. So, and I mean. It, I think that the the question is how much money do you need to make off of a life-saving drug b- before you consider it worth your while to save lives. That. And I think this is hard because there are scientists, we've said we said this with the covid vaccine. There's scientists behind all this who I know don't feel this way, who I know aren't making this, who aren't sitting there in their labs for days and weeks and months and years perfecting these molecules thinking I'm going to make so much money. That's well, not no, what they're well, thinking. Well, because they're not. I no, mean, I know. That's what I'm saying. And, and this is what sucks is if you break it down to any individual human in the chain and you ask them about the morality of this, then they would probably say, oh, yeah, we, sh- we should try to help people. This is the problem. The, it, living in a capitalist system, they are not just uh, encouraged but required to try to squeeze as many nickels out of everybody as they can. This is why people getting freaked out about AI drives me crazy. You know we've already been living under the tyrannical reign of an algorithm for years now. It's a bunch of humans serving this algorithm that will give them the most money. Like we've been doing it, right? So no one is to blame other than – I mean there are, I'm sure there are people to blame. But the system is built for this. Like this is what it's supposed to do. I'm going to start calling you Neo if you keep talking like this. Really? Like from the Matrix? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's that's cool. Yeah, I could get down with that. No, I, but I mean, what you're saying— I know Kung Fu. What you're saying is right. And also recognizing that, that a pharmaceutical company is not a single human. It's an amalgam of a bunch of different people who don't necessarily feel this way. Extrapolate this out but, to housing developments, right? Yeah. Like we have homeless people. You're building, building, you're building houses. Why can't you make them like— a, 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 so you make enough money to pay your people 
And then also you put people who don't have homes in them. Well, because that's not the system. The system is we get as much money for it as we humanly can, and otherwise we're failing mm-hmm. the the system. I'm and, sorry. And, and I'm, well, and we have a lot of um, intellectual frameworks that have been constructed around that to tell us that it's the right thing to do. Um, but I think, but like John Green called on this, and, and this helped turn the tide on this issue. There are lots of people who work for these companies who are good people who don't agree with this. And mm-hmm. if you ask them, the problem is that the corporation gets to be a thing of its own in this society. Right. The corporation can have wants and needs and desires and demands, and it is much more powerful than us, the indiv- because, we, the individuals. Because it's a it's a it's a moral smokescreen that allows people to operate with with moral impunity because they're serving this this capitalist system. It's and things have moved far away from like I always think about Jonas Salk with the polio vaccine. Mm-hmm. He said he didn't patent it because he said, "Could you patent the sun?" Yeah, we've moved a long way. I, those people are still there. Now there's people, there are there's Jonas Salks there. Yeah, but there's also people in the government who was like, "Can we patent the sun?" Actually, that's yes. a great idea, Jonas. Thank you so much. I know. Anyway, um, so where does that leave us with beta quilling and the patent? Why it's it was filed. Initially in 2003, generally patents last 20 years, generally. It's 2023. It's time for it to end. So what's the beef? I'm going to tell you after we go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I mean, filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes smoothies they got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious and the meals you just eat and eat there's no prepping cooking or cleanup get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week you're going to get exactly what you want no surprises here uh and the meals i can say are delicious so what do you got to lose head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones 50 and use code Sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code Sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash Sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier then you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going to. Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool. Think of it as the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just 
take stuff off the palate that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palate onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hi, I'm Ketchup. And I'm Socks. And I'm Ball Bearings. And I'm Pigeons. And I'm Water Towers. And I'm Cardboard. Surprise, we're actually humans. Humans making a podcast about those kinds of topics. Because those are real episode topics on the podcast, Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. That's a podcast where we take ordinary seeming things like ketchup and socks and cardboard and bring you the little known history and science and stories that make those things secretly incredibly fascinating. Secretly incredibly fascinating. The title of the podcast. Hear the back catalog anytime and hear new amazing episodes every Monday at MaximumFun.org. You want to hear a celebrity impression? Where's the beef? That's oh, the that lady. Was good. Where's the beef lady? That was, that was a good one. I 80s think, kids I think. will love that. Okay, so like I said, the patent should be running out this year. Everybody's very excited. Like I, I found a lot of articles like written last year that are like, it's a new era. Beta quilling's going off patent. We are so freaking excited. I love scientists who write that kind of stuff. I mean, like it really, it was, it's a big deal for saving lives. Um and by the way, patents and exclusivity are two different things when it comes to pharmaceuticals, and they can run concurrently. You can have exclusive rights to a drug, meaning you can't have generics, and you can also patent a drug so nobody else can make it. And I don't know. It's, but the important thing for this is the patent. It, mm-hmm. They're all different rules, and I read them, and I wish I was a lawyer to understand them. Anyway, so J&J is fighting it because um, kind of like what you said with Mickey Mouse. This is a good, this is a good analogy. Okay. Another life-saving. Another life-saving pharmaceutical. (laughs) Mickey Mouse. So in 2003, they patented beta-quilling. Well, in 2007, J&J filed another patent on it for another piece of it. Because there's lots of different things that go into the drug itself, right? Right. There's like figuring out the active part that does whatever it does to the organism or in your cells or whatever. But there's like how you package it. There's how it gets into cells. There's the delivery mechanism. There's lots of different pieces to a pharmaceutical. And every one of those can be patented. So Steamboat Willie can be patented. But then when you add gloves, that can be patented. And then when you make them color, that can be patented. All that is true about medications. And when you patent a new part, a term that they use for that is evergreening, do you restart the patent? clock, basically. Have you made it so now we're 20 years from 2007, which is what J&J has been saying. Oh, well, actually, we're going to honor this in four years mm. because that's when the patent expires because right. of this other thing we did in 2007, which is legal, by the way. Like, I'm not, they're not doing anything that isn't legal. This is legal. 
you can do this. I, it's worth it's worth noting also that in Disney's case, they have fought and lobbied to change the law, <laughs> the law to make it so that Mickey Mouse doesn't go into the public domain. <laughs> well, and J and J is not doing anything that is illegal, which shouldn't which shouldn't give them. I mean, that doesn't let them off the hook. What it says is who wrote the laws and whose interests were they serving. But and I should just by the way. There are TB activists mm-hmm. who have been trying to make this happen for a long time, who have been arguing these cases for a long time. Like, th- this isn't—we, all of us in the in the podcast and video and, and social media world who pay attention to these things and do our best to be science communicators and do our best to tell you about stuff, like, we are, we are standing on the shoulders of giants who have been mm-hmm. doing this kind of work for a long time. And there was a huge global campaign in October of 2019— where uh, Medicines Sans Frontiers, which is Doctors Without Borders. It sounds bad. Don't you think it's better, though? It's, Medicines it's better Sans Frontiers is so it's much better. better. Um, but they got together with TB activists, and they had this huge campaign outside all the J&J offices in the U.S., in South Africa, in Brazil, in Belgium, in Ukraine, in Spain, basically demanding that they lower the price of betaquiline to no more than a dollar a day for patients with MDR-TB. Um, so th- this has been happening for a while. Now, now all these activists— Demanding this doesn't always necessarily mean they change their minds, um, but that's what that has been building to this. And this happened, by the way. We can we've talked before about like the initial AIDS epidemic. These sorts of things happened, right? Demanding like people need these drugs. We can't wait. We don't care about your patent. Twenty years is too long. Do you know how many people will die? Do you know how many people would have died would die in the next four years if they maintain their patent? How many? Six million. That's so many. Mm-hmm. So. How can you make more than one patent on a single medicine? That was a question I had. Well, we kind of talked about that. Like, you can patent different pieces of it. Um, there's a There can be novel stabilizers or capsule coatings or, like, a good example is the delivery mechanism of albuterol. So a lot of you may use an albuterol inhaler if you have asthma or COPD or something like that, right? And it helps open your airways, this, this drug. It's old drug. Um, the delivery mechanism of your little teeny inhaler, the little L-shaped thing that you squirt in your mouth, mm-hmm. that changed at one point, mainly because we wanted to eliminate chlorofluorocarbons, CFCs that were used in the, you know, in the way that it squirts in your mouth. Um, and when we when they changed that, they were able to extend patents. It's why albuterol inhalers have stayed expensive. Nowadays, they're finally generic, some of them. But like for a long time, I remember buying my patients their albuterol inhalers because they didn't because they didn't have insurance. This is prior to the Affordable Care Act, um, and like the Thanks cheapest, so yeah, the, no, literally. Thank you. The cheapest that I could often get was between forty and fifty bucks for a. I mean, literally a life saving inhaler um, for a drug that had been around for who knows how many decades. But anyway, so you can you can do that. So to give you an idea why betaquiline isn't the end of this fight. The top um, 12 brand drugs on the market last year were protected by 848 total patents. It's an average of 71 per drug. That's that's 38 years without competition on average. So that 20 years is just like that's the opening <laughs> offer from the patent office a lot of the times. Humira, um, which treats uh, kind of arthritis and is a really important drug. And you can read, there are lots of articles about how Humira, um, they had 132 patents that were granted. Um, and that was, I think, less than half of what they attempted to patent. I think they they tried to patent over 300 different 
aspects of Humira um, and have made billions off this drug, by the way, that is absolutely essential for some people and they just cannot get access to. And they call these patent thickets, by the way. Patent thickets? Uh Uh-huh. You create a patent thicket around your drug so that you can make as much money off it as possible for as long as possible. Um, There's a patent thicket of 96 patents around Revlimid, which is a uh, cancer drug. So that could, if they all hold, that's 40 years with no competition. Um, Same with Lantus, which is a really essential insulin. A lot of my patients need it or use it, um, and it has 49 patents. So anyway, this is is not just a J&J problem. This is a systemic problem. Now, uh, the Green Brothers brought a lot of awareness to this. A lot of people on social media took notice. There was a lot of pressure on J&J to do we say do the right thing, but I think this is all like, this is moral relativism, right? In this yes, situation, the right thing is to let the patent expire. I think there's probably a better right that could have been done. Right. But the, we're past that point. So to do the right thing. Um, and they got, and they, uh, this is in addition to all the pressure they were already getting from the global community for years now, right? This sustained pressure, this was sort of the tipping point. And um, Johnson and Johnson announced yesterday, that was Thursday the 13th, um, that they had uh, granted Stop TB Partnerships Global Drug Facilities licenses that enable global drug facility to tender, procure, and supply generic versions of, oh, the brand name for this is Certuro. Certuro. Or beta-quilling. For the majority of sounds low like and middle-income scu- like countries. like a scuba instructor, doesn't it? <laughs> and I am Certuro. <laughs> I will be guiding you through the depths. Uh, for the majority of low and middle income countries, including countries where patents remain in effect. Uh, so that all, that sounds good. Okay. That sounds good. Hopefully that will play out like they say. Now, I always, I always think like, I mean, they can supply generic versions for the majority of low and middle income countries for the majority. So there's, there's wiggle room in here. Um, and I think that, that that, of course, is concerning. Uh, and so in response to that, um, as John Green pointed out, what we still need to get Johnson & Johnson to do is commit to this deal with the global drug facility in perpetuity. Like, don't go back on it yeah. next year when you decide to file a new patent because you did something else or whatever, or because you decide to defend one. I mean, I don't know how many patents there are on beta quilling. These are the two I know about. How many could there be? And if you are going to do it, will you at least give Sawbones a heads up this time <laughs> so we can get out in front of this thing and not leave the Green Brothers to get all the credit? <laughs> really, guys? He hasn't um, done enough? John, for John Green writes the best-selling book of that the year that Fallen Art Stars came out. Hank, has everybody loves Hank now because he's in a, a, an incredibly inspiring cancer battle. This is ridiculous. Let us get a hand on the ball, please. We're all trying our best here. The Green Brothers are making coffee that funds like villages and stuff. Like, please, guys, leave a little bit of credit for the rest of us. Please leave some good works undone. Should I admit, like, we we are friends with the Greens. We no, like the Greens. This is not a, we this used is, to be. This is a goof. This is a step. This no, is a goof. No, Sid, make, keeping the TB drug generic is a step too far, Hank and John. You hear me? You've gone too far. You saved too many lives. You saved too many lives and too many good works. Leave I'm the doctor for, here. Leave something for the rest of us. Um, and I'm a podcaster. This is as close <laughs> as I get, guys. You got to give me something. Um, there are a couple other things. Remember, in addition to the de- deal being in perpetuity, they need to give us a list of what countries do you mean? 
What do you mean the majority? <laughs> like which ones? And who are you leaving off? And why? And My, I mean, like I, I think that that's a little sketch. Um, and then uh, publicly announce, acknowledge, and this is the other part, any other patents, that this amounts to a functional abandonment of secondary patents on beta-quilling in countries with high TB burden. Um, so that's the, that's the last piece of this that they really need to, to do because otherwise they could, I mean, like I said, they, companies create these patent thickets or they could just call on a different patent. Oh, and so- I mean, the problem is like, if you start making these generics and then they decide like, okay, actually we only were giving you this deal for a year and it's over now and now we're defending our patents again, they've got the weight, they've got the money, they've got the power, they've got the the legal, you know, prowess. Like they've got it. They can do that. They can stop you. And and those of us who work in like healthcare activism or in these like medical nonprofits or these yeah, I mean, like, there's only so much we can do to fight back. Now, you know who who could fight back? The Green Brothers. Well, obviously the Green Brothers. Aside from the Green Brothers. Yeah. The governments. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forgot. Why are pharmaceutical are companies like, allowed aware. to, you know, do this to us? Yeah. Um, so you're saying there's still more work to do? Yes. I'm saying that they're – that sustained um, vigilance, attention, yeah. outrage like- – is necessary so that they don't go back on these things so that they don't. And this happens a lot when a corporation comes under like a negative spotlight is they'll do something quickly to try to like kill the noise. And then everybody goes, Oh, yay, we fixed it. And then they move on to the next thing. Right. Cause yeah. that's the nature of, especially like with social media. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? That's how we all so, are sort of so trained. So you're saying that the greens left the job half finished? No, I'm not. Pretty saying sloppy, that. guys. Guess it's time for sawbones. No, because John is the over. one that pointed out that we need to we need to continue to demand these other things um, because it's not enough uh, to just stop there. We need more, and I don't know. I mean, I don't trust uh, if the a, Green Brothers. No, me neither. Yes, if a company. And this isn't even about trust because I don't want I don't want to make this an emotional thing. If a company's goal is to make money, which it is, if you build a business that's for profit, what's your goal? Make money. I mean, like that's that's intrinsically what it is. Like you do whatever else you do, but like your goal is to make money. You know, you don't like sell pants because you are passionate about you know. I mean, maybe you're passionate about pants, but like you hope to make money off the pants, right? You've, you've really got me with this metaphor. Please keep when, it going. When, when In healthcare, my goal is never to make money. My goal is to take care of people. And so when the two start getting intertwined, people will get hurt inevitably because the companies are trying to make money. And those of us who need to get these drugs to the patients are just trying to save lives. Our goals are not the same. And sometimes they run at cross purposes because I don't care if you make money. Give me the freaking pills so people don't die of a curable disease in the year 2023 and people are not sentenced to die because they happen to be born in a part of the world with less healthcare resources or because they happen to be born impoverished. Uh, it's not, that is not the equitable society that we want to live in. And so healthcare cannot be left up to the capitalist free market. Uh, thank you so much for listening to our, our DSA podcast. Uh, we <laughs> hope you've enjoyed it. Um, we, yeah. well, sorry, go ahead. Can I say one other thing? We've, we've talked a lot about the Green Brothers who, again, I would just like to reassert we are, we are friends with. Listen, and, you and can, you are just you, you're around. out on your own on this um, one, okay? 
And and I would also like to say a lot of you um a lot of you wrote in and when um Hank announced his diagnosis and asked us to talk about you know the type of cancer Hank has and all that. Here's what I would tell you. First of all, um Hank of course is an excellent science communicator. And if you are not already following and listening to the the various things Hank puts out in the world, whether YouTubes or TikToks or whatever, you should be because Hank is doing a far better job than I ever could of educating people about what he's going through and what the implications of that are. I mean, and not just like his personal experience, but like the scientific ins and outs. He is doing a... I don't even have the words for it. An incredible job. It's, it's incredible. It's it is truly it is truly. He's, he's made me cry many times watching the strength of going through it and describing it in great detail. Um, and I I don't. There is no. There's no need for me to tell that story because he's doing. You it. can follow him. So. It, his his uh, TikTok handle is at the McElroy family. So go follow him right now. <laughs> Justin, um, it's what America needs you to do, and well, I think the Greens are- will really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> um, and of course, we all are thinking about Hank and wishing him the best. And yeah. Uh, by the way, they're genuinely actually good human beings. If you know them in real life, they are, they're as good as they seem. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, thanks to the taxpayers for using their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And thanks to you, the people, for listening. We appreciate it so much. That's going to do it for us for this week. Until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.